Hello, sons, and hello, brothers. Now it's time again to talk, uh, man talk. It's time for the man podcast, and we're in a little series of um, podcasts about crafting a holy life, or if you will, uh, weapons to war against sin or weapons to resist sin. And this is the second. The first weapon was pray and the different kinds of prayer that you can add to the kinds of prayer that you're using to war against sin. Prayer is impossible to war successfully against um, the fleshly desires that war against the soul without meaningful prayer. And the scriptures, there's nothing in the scriptures about warring against sin without prayer. Anyway, that was the topic last week. It's a new week. I'm a day late here because I made a trip to um, down to, to the border of West Texas and New Mexico, the Seminole, Texas, where our son Daniel lives. And Daniel is the major inspiration behind this podcast. When I'm talking behind this microphone, I'm thinking about Dan and his work truck out on a on the desert or on the prairie uh, where he supervises oil uh, and gas transmission uh, safety and such. And I'm thinking about my son, Kyle, who's a pastor in Grand Rapids, a son, Chuck, who's a pastor in Williamston. My son, Wesley's a plumber in Texas and uh, in the Dallas area. Those in McKinney. And I'm thinking about you. Anyway, I'm hoping that throughout our lives we're men of prayer and that we have a, a, a communication link with God uh, and we, we're various kinds of prayer. But today, the second, uh, the second tool to craft a holy life is obey. Tool number one, pray. Tool number two, obey. Sin is independence from God and we fight it with prayer. And sin is rebellion against God, and we fight it with obedience. So years ago, we got a little dog. It was a little beagle, and we bought him from an Amish guy, so we named him Yoder. Yoder the Amish beagle was an adorable little dog, and we lived in the country when we got him, but just a short time after we got him, we moved in. We had to move in town. We had a nice house on out on the west end of Mount Vernon, Ohio, but it was in town. And so we took little Yoder, and we did what you probably should never do with a dog. We took the little guy, and we put him on a chain, and we put him on a stake in the backyard. And he lived for about a year uh, in a circle of mud defined by the length of his chain in the backyard. And that was pretty sad. His whole life was, was lived in, the, in a circle of mud, the, the, about as big as his chain was long. And gentlemen, can I tell you, you want to be free and you want to explore this world and you want to accomplish things. You want to achieve things. You want to experience things. You want to help people. A lot you want to do. You don't want to live on the end of a, of a chain in a circle of mud defined by the length of your chain that Satan has got you staked out where he wants you to do what he wants you to do that you do not want. And you do not have to live like that because there is a better way. And today I want to talk about that way. And that way is obedience. Now, just like prayer saying obedience just seems too simple. Well, of course, 
I fight sin with obedience. But but how, how does that work and why is that powerful? Well, let me just go over four things and I'll put these in notes for you to look back on if you'd like to. But I'm going to I'm going to um read Romans 6 6 through 20 uh, 16 through 23. This is a key passage on on resisting sin. Uh, Romans 6 16 through 23. I'm going to say four things out of this passage. Let me just say them now and then I'll teach them. Number 1, sin is habit forming. Sin is habit forming. This you will see throughout scripture. It's in the Proverbs. It's in Titus 3 3. It's um, your circle of mud. Um, but it's here in Romans 6 16 through 18. Sin is habit forming. We'll read that. Second, obedience is also habit forming. That's kind of like bad news, good news. Obedience is also habit forming. You see that in Romans 16 9. So sin is habit forming, number one. Romans 6, 16 through 18. Number two, obedience is also habit forming. You see that in Romans 6, 19. Number three, habitual sin leads to shame and death. Habitual sin leads to shame and death. Romans 6, 20 and 21. And then number four, habitual obedience leads to more holiness and freedom and everlasting life. Romans 6, 22 through 23. So Romans 1, I'm sorry, number one, sin is habit forming. Number two, obedience is also habit forming. Number three, habitual sin leads to shame and death. And number four, habitual obedience leads to more holiness, freedom, and everlasting life. Did you catch those two couplets, if you will? Sin is habit forming, but obedience is habit forming. Habitual sin leads to shame and death. Habitual obedience leads to more holiness, freedom, and everlasting life. This is what I want to talk to you about today. It's essentially walking in the Spirit, habitually obeying the impulses of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, with the gifts of the Spirit, which leads to the fruit of the Spirit. You probably want me to say that again, don't you? Walking in the Spirit is habitually obeying the impulses of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, with the gifts of the Spirit leading to the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Now, what man wouldn't want that in his life? That's not living on the uh, on the end of a chain in a circle of mud defined by your own habitual sin. Now, let me show you this. Um, uh, let's go over this more slowly, and let me read as I do the passages that underpin this, and they should, should give you a strong sense of, of encouragement uh, today when you think God has given us very powerful tools that are effective to war against sin, and they're, and they're actually simpler than you think. So again, remember this heading, sin is habit-forming. Now listen to Romans 6, 16 through 18. Romans 6, 16 through 18. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Sin is habit forming. We're serving various lust and pleasures, it says in Titus 3.3. 3. What are the sins 
that confine you to the circle of mud. You know, and I know through our own experience, that sin is habit-forming. Sin leads to more sin. Sin leads to worse sin. But the good news is in verse 19, and this is what Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms, Romans 6, 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So what what Paul is saying is profound. It's simple but profound. And that is, we know sin is habit-forming. We know that when we sin, it's easier to sin again. But here's what Paul is introducing. But obedience is also habit-forming. When we obey, it's easier to obey again. And this is supercharged by the Holy Spirit. We know from the rest of Scripture that when we obey, God's God's informing that obedience. God's in stimulating that obedience. God's suggesting that obedience. He's giving us impulses, inclinations, desires to obey because we have the Spirit living in us. And then when we obey... He empowers that, so he, he gives us an impulse and the power to obey. So we're not, we're not our own. We're, we're, we're working with the Lord and the Holy Spirit, obeying his word, and then um, that obedience is becoming habitual. So it's very discouraging, very sad uh, to think about how horrifyingly habit-forming sin is, how a man can become a slave to sin. I just heard recently of a man... Uh, that 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 worked in a casino, and he said that people n- not infrequently have gone to the casino and gambled away their home or their fortune or their business, and then gone out and taken their lives. They couldn't get free of the of the the bondage, the addiction of sin, and this can be with with in any way in your life. And yet, gents, here's the thing that's so encouraging to think about. You, you and I all have, we have experience in this, I, this thing of sin becoming a habit. Now we can begin to experiment with obedience becoming a, a habit, a spiritual habit, and one that's empowered by God. The impulse is from God. The power is from God. Yes, we exert ourselves and we push ourselves. We um, discipline ourselves unto God. It's like working out in a gym. But God is the one who gives us the impulse, and God is the one who gives us the power. And then that obedience is more powerfully habit-forming. You can form a habit of obedience. Isn't that encouraging? You can see why crafting a holy life requires obedience. Now, the third thing. So the first thing is sin is habit-forming, 6, 16 to 18. Second, obedience is also habit-forming, Romans 6, 19. Habitual sin, verse number 3 Habitual sin leads to shame and death. Now, now you know this, but let's hear it again uh, so that the gravity of it weighs on us. This is 6.20, Romans 6.20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. So habitual sin leads to shame and death. Sin is habit-forming, one. Two, obedience is also habit-forming, three. Habitual sin leads to shame and death. It's like living on the end of a chain in a circle of mud and leaving a, 
leaving a, a stream of sadness, brokenness, damage, hurt, guilt, and shame behind you. And so shame leads to shame and death leads to death. And it's the death of, of anything good. And you could just imagine in a simple application of this, that you and your wife are not agreeing. And let's say she said things and act in a way that are extremely painful to you. And now you are tempted to sin. You know that if you answer in kind, she's not the only sinner there. You sinned against her. You know, if you um, damage her verbally or God forbid physically, or you cut her off or sin, you, you sin against her, that sin becomes habitual, gentlemen. You'll do it again. You'll do it worse and become who you are. But if you respond obediently, God is faithful at that moment. When you're being sinned against, God is, be, is faithful to give you a way of escape, which is a path of obedience to take. What will you take that path of obedience? He inspires you to do it. He empowers you to do it. Will you choose to obey? When you choose to obey, the next time an opportunity to obey comes, it will be easier. It will become a habit that you respond to your... So when, when someone sins against you verbally or sins against you by disrespecting you, pressing against you, or frustrates you by mistreating you or not showing respect, you, if you sin against them, then both of you are sinning and in, in a, in a, in a, in death follows sin and shame follows sin. So you will have shame and death because that's what habitual sin does. But if you follow the path of obedience, if you discover how would God want me to respond to this sin against me, and you respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit, inform yourself with Scripture, yield your heart to the Holy Spirit, trust God, then your obedience is habit-forming. Now, what the Bible says about that, that's number four, is that habitual obedience leads to more holiness and freedom and everlasting life. So habitual sin leads to shame and death, verses 20 and 21. But habitual obedience leads to more holiness and to freedom and to everlasting life, verses 22 and 23. And you're familiar with these. Listen to them as I read them. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, how this works, for instance, let's take the same illustration of you, you and your wife having a disagreement, and she sins against you by disrespecting you, by speaking in such a way that's not proper, appropriate, or respectful, and then you're, you're, you're angry, and now you, you, you can choose to respond in anger. Now you're both sinning, and, a sh- and shame and death will follow that, and, and it will become habitual, which leads to shame and death. But when she sins against you, and you respond biblically and spiritually and in a way that is biblically sound and wise. And, and then that leads to more holiness and freedom and everlasting life. It breathes life into the family. Little children are listening to those conversations. Habits are being formed. Spirits are being crushed and destroyed. Or your, your home can be a place where you have cultivated holiness Freedom, joy, everlasting life, good things. It's like a garden of beautiful things growing. And that's what a man does. A man understands that he must craft a holy life using the, the, the tool of obedience. 
because sin is habit-forming, obedience is habit-forming, habitual sin leads to shame and death, but habitual obedience leads to more holiness and freedom and everlasting life. And then when you get to Romans 8, the, the Holy Spirit is introduced. And here in Romans 6, you have the phrase in verse 19, that form of doctrine delivered to you. In other words, you have the Bible. But in Romans 8, it also says, and you have the Holy Spirit. So the Bible and the Holy Spirit working together are going to inform you and give you an impulse, inspire you to a path of obedience, a way to obey. And this is critical. What I'm going to do, since I used that illustration about um, maybe if you have a, a, a moment of contention with a person, your loved one or your wife or a friend, I, I, I'm going to do a bonus episode this week. So watch for a bonus episode on how to respond to contention. I want to show you this um, idea, though, before we go on, before we close off, let, let me let me talk to you a little bit about walking in the Spirit, which is habitually obeying the impulses of the Spirit or the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, using the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are given to you, which leads to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you this quickly in, in four passages, the importance of crafting a holy life uh, through obedience and how God will inspire us, will put a bug in our ear, will put a... We'll put a suggestion in our mind. Listen to John 14, 26. Um, John 14, 26. This is the miraculous work of the Spirit who inspires and empowers us. The Spirit teaches us or he brings to remembrance what Jesus said. Jesus said in, in John 14, 26, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. and He's going to bring to your remembrance the things I said. Now, this is a powerful, powerful thing to think that God is going to send the Holy Spirit to live in every Christian man. And the Holy Spirit living in you is going to remind you of the things Jesus taught. He's going to remind you of the things God says. And when that happens, and when a man learns to habitually respond to that voice of the Holy Spirit, this truth of the Word of God, then beautiful things begin to flower in his life. Things happen he never could accomplish on his own spiritual things. I have a, a, a cousin uh, whose name is Dave, and Dave did not always walk with the Lord. And as a matter of fact, I spent a lot of time with Dave, trying to coach him, trying to inspire him, trying to convince him to walk with the Lord, and he did not. Until one day, things changed, and suddenly I found that Dave had a hunger for God. He was going to church. I, I got a hold of Dave, and I said, Dave, t- tell me what in the world happened. He says, well, I have a boss who's a jerk, and everybody hates him. Everybody that works for him hates him. He's just such a jerk. And he went away, and he came back, and he was different. He was just not a jerk anymore. He started to treat us right. Everybody started to like him. Finally, somebody said, what happened to you? And here's how the story goes. He was hiking on the Appalachian Trail. He's from South Bend, Indiana, and this guy was... Uh, section hiking the Appalachian Trail. Well, while he was section hiking the Appalachian Trail, somebody was he was he was pounding on a shower door trying to get somebody to get out of a sh- public shower so he could use it. He's pounding on a shower door, and somebody else walk up to him and say, "Hey, hey you're from South Bend, right?" He, yeah, he goes, "Well, hey, there's another guy here I just met on the trail, and his name is, is Clapper, Craig Clapper." Um, is a pastor from South Bend. And, and the guy says, this guy's from South Bend, and he's cussing, and all of a sudden, you know, oh, hey, hello, pastor, nice to meet you, excuse my language. 
Pastor Clapper says to this guy, well, it's amazing that we would meet out here on the Appalachian Trail. Must be the Lord arranged for us to meet. Why don't you come visit my church when you get back to town? The guy says, yeah, I'll do it. But he didn't do it. Never did visit his church. It was quite some time later when Pastor Clapper had gone on another hike in southern Indiana, and he came out on the trailhead, and there was this guy sitting there. And the pastor looks at me and says, you didn't come to my church. And he goes, ah, I didn't. I promise I will. He goes, I think the Lord arranged us to, to meet on the trail two times. You should come. So the guy ended up going to that church. I believe it was Trinity Evangelical Free Church in South Bend, Indiana. And he came to know the Lord, and it changed his life. Gentlemen, listen, when it changed his life, it changed my my cousin Dave's life and his family. When a man, when God gets a hold of a man, everybody who knows him is blessed and is helped. And a man, that's the only way a man can really change and be transformed is by God's help. It's by God doing what only God can do. Like, like Dave and Pastor Clapper's friend. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with open face beholding as in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one level of glory to another, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So again, you have you have John 14.26 that teaches us that the Spirit brings to remembrance what Jesus says. You have 2 Corinthians 3.18 that I just quoted to you, which teaches us that God is at work in us progressively, supernaturally, miraculously, making us more and more like Jesus as we admire him in the deepest part of us, beholding as in a mirror the face of the Lord Jesus. And it is through the Holy Spirit, specifically says so in Romans in chapter 8, that we have spirit-inspired, spirit-empowered human effort that, that allows us, it enables us to do a miraculous thing, and that is to uh, obey God's law, specifically what it says. Listen as I read Romans 8, and this would be verses 4 through 7. Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 4 through 7 say this In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For, a, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God and does not submit to God's law, and it cannot, those who are in the flesh, cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he raised Christ Jesus from dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit which dwells in you. So incredibly powerful promise here allows you to live off the chain it allows you to break the chain of, of sin and, and death. Galatians 5, 16 through 26, talk about walking in the Spirit and living, walking in the flesh and, and walking in the Spirit. Uh, the, 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 um, the results of the flesh, which is a list of dark sins, and then the fruit of the Spirit, which is a list of, of virtues that are possible when a man keeps in step with the Spirit, that's when he lives off the chain. And you never know 
what's going to happen when when a man tunes his soul to God, tunes his heart, his ear to God's word, then God, the Holy Spirit, using a Bible, the, the word that's been taught to him or the word that he's read or has been preached to him, the Spirit will use the word to inspire things in him to involve him in the work of God. I'll give, let me give you an example. So, so I have a pastor friend um, who um, uh, had a relational breakdown with another pastor. There was a strained relationship there. So Pastor Jim was burned about it. And, and so he felt that the Lord prompted him to send this other pastor a gift. And knowing that pastors love books, he bought this little book, a really, really wonderful little classic of a book that he loved called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It's an absolute gem of a book. So my friend, Pastor Jim, buys this book and he inscribes it and he mails it off to this offended pastor. A few days later, the pastor calls Jim and thanks him for the book. And this is what he says, Pastor Jim, he said, the other day I decided that I would go to the bookstore and buy a particular book that I wanted to add to my library. I'd heard about it and I wanted it. My wife was driving and she was starting to back out of the driveway and I felt an impulse to stop first and check the mail. So in the mail that morning was a package from you. And when I opened it up, it said, the book said, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23. And the book included a, a, a warm note from you. And I stood there in shock because I was going to the bookstore that morning to buy that very book. How did you know that? Now, you and I both know the answer to that question is God is the one who inspired Pastor Jim to send that book at that time to that man so it would arrive the exact book to the exact time when he'd back out to go to the bookstore to buy the copy of the book so that their hearts would be knit together in love. Every day, each of us is going to get impulses from the flesh to do things that don't come from God. And it's so easy to go down that road, but that road leads to death. It's living on the end of a chain in a circle of mud defined by the by the, the chain of sin. But we can also rely on the promise of God that the Holy Spirit who lives in us will prompt us and teach us and remind us, and we'll get impulses from the indwelling Spirit and then when we obey those impulses and the power of the Spirit, we're walking in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, supernatural things happen. And they result in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Gentlemen, listen to that again. Are you characterized by the works of the flesh or by the fruit of the Spirit? Are you characterized by love? Are you characterized by joy? Are you characterized by peace, patience? kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There might be some configuration in sports or in work where you can bully people and you can get away with it for a while. Probably not very long, but you probably for a while, perhaps. You can be harsh and demanding and sinful and fleshly, but you can't love a wife properly that way. You can't raise children properly that way. You won't bring life, you'll bring death. You'll be all living in a circle of mud. Your whole family will live in your circle of mud, defined by the sin that keeps you in bondage. But I can't imagine a more full-of-life way to live than to continually and repeatedly and habitually walk in the Spirit, cooperate with the Spirit, and, and see what God has to say to you. 
you know, that uh, little dog Yoder, uh, he was out on the, out on that chain one day when God in a miraculous series of circumstances allowed us to get a long-term lease on a house in the country out in the Ohio countryside, a most beautiful valley on a dead end road and a safe place for children. And we, we got that lease. Uh, the Lord arranged for us to have that lease from a Christian owner. We moved our family out on that farm. And the summer night that we moved our family out on the farm, we, we brought, we unhooked Yoder, the Amish beagle from his chain in the backyard of the house in town and we drove him out and we let him run and we took the chain and the stake and we threw him away we never saw him again that little dog had that whole farm 100 acres wild acres only about 20 of it tillable woods and the creek the bank of mint growing on the side yoder would jump in that creek swim with the boys roll in the bank of mints in the evening of the day we would sit as the sun went down on the steps and that little dog would just come in from a day of playing and swimming and running. And he'd just roll over on his back and belly up, completely spent. And that's a picture, gents. That's a picture uh, that satisfied life of freedom. That's the life that Jesus wants you to live. That's the life that you can only live if you walk in the Spirit, if you learn to habitually obey the Lord. Remember this, gents. Satan wants you to live in a circle of mud on the end of a chain defined the size of the circle of mud is defined by the length of your chain and the length of your chain is defined by the sinful habits that you have but Jesus he wants you to set he wants to set you free and throw away the chain he wants you to live off the chain and ironically the only way to do that is by learning to live a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. God bless you, men. Talk to you again soon.